My name's Todd Finch. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the elders here at Christ the King. And just like Danny's filling in, uh, I'm also filling in while Tim and Marika are on a well-deserved vacation. Funny thing happened yesterday. Allison and I were at HEB picking up some groceries. Uh, Allison literally called me her workhorse as I was pushing about 80 pounds of groceries around. Uh, we ran into Nikki Ratliff, and I, we were talking with her, and, and uh, I said, it's just so good to see y'all here at Christ the King. Uh, hope y'all can be there tomorrow. And she said, yeah, I really hope that he preaches on Psalm 103. I just love Psalm 103. Well, Nikki, you get your wish. We're talking about Psalm 103 today. The sermon title, I've given it a very grandiose, lofty title called The Meaning of Life. So if you're considering going to UT, enrolling in, a, uh, in the classes there to get a degree in philosophy, there's no need to do that. Just listen to the sermon, save your money. Uh, all right, so here's the main point that I'm going to start out with. The main point is that God created humans to praise, glorify, and honor him out of gratitude for what he's done for us and because of his status of title status or title as Lord. So think about that as I read Psalm 103, and then we'll pray. Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Please pray with me. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that's a light, a lamp unto our feet. We ask that you would help, it would help guide us to the meaning of life today, uh, gathering that from Psalm 103. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. One quick housekeeping item before we jump into scripture, and that's one of terminology. You, You heard me say, or heard Psalm 103 say, bless the Lord, O my soul. David, the psalmist, does not use the word bless in the way that we usually use the word bless. When we usually use it, it's like, you know, he is so blessed to come from a good family or she is so blessed to be young and energetic and full of youth. David is using bless in the, sen- in the religious sense. When he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, he's saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. Glorify the Lord, magnify the Lord, worship the Lord. And I'll submit to you here, and I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon In order to praise God, bless God, glorify God, you have to love God. That's a prerequisite in order to bless the Lord and glorify the Lord. So we'll come back to that at the end. So let's get into Psalm 103. There's four logical groupings, four sections. The first section is one through five. Verse one says that we should bless or praise God with all of our soul our very essence, our very core of who and what we are. It says, bless the Lord, his holy name. Some of you may know this, but in your Bible, it says the, uh, everywhere it says the word Lord in all caps, that's God's personal name, his proper noun. And it goes, the backstory on that is whenever God called Moses uh, with a burning bush and told him about this grand adventure that he was going to send him on, Moses had a couple of questions. The first question we won't get into, which is, who am I? I'm not even a good talker. But the second question Moses had for God was, well, who are you? Like, they're going to ask me who sent me. Who are you? Well, God, fortunately for us, actually told Moses his real name. The the, uh, English letters are Y-H-W-H, sometimes pronounced Yahweh. And the meaning is I am. So when it says praise his holy name, in this instance, it's praise Yahweh. So just good thing to know there. Verse 2 sets up the the other three verses in this section. So in verse 3, God forgives our iniquities. And it's a good thing he does that. If he didn't do that, we couldn't relate with God. We couldn't be in communion with God if he didn't forgive our iniquities. He's a holy God. We're a sinful people. So it's a good thing he does that. He also heals all of our diseases. Now, I know what you're thinking, the same thing I was thinking. People die of diseases all the time. So this is sort of an already but not yet. Yes, he does occasionally heal our diseases. But in the end time, in the new heaven, the new earth, when we get our glorified bodies, ultimately he will have healed all of our diseases. God also redeems or saves our lives from the pit. He crowns or blesses us with steadfast love and mercy. And lastly, he satisfies us with good so that our youth or strength or vigor is renewed like the eagles. So verse 2 just set up all of these wonderful things that God does for us. He forgives, heals, redeems, saves, crowns, 
blesses, satisfies, and renews. Wonderful things that God does for us. Let's move on to the second logical grouping or section 2 of Psalm 103. And this includes verses 6 through 14. The main takeaway of this section is that God brings justice for the oppressed. He's merciful and gracious to us, not just corporately, but also individually. Specifically, though, to those who fear him. And lastly, he knows us. So let's start off with oppression. Now, in this day and age, in Austin and Texas and the United States, I think it's fair to say we don't feel a lot of major oppression. Elsewhere around the world, and I'm thinking of middle, places in the Middle East and Africa and maybe Asia, Christians are undergoing major oppression. But also think about historically, over the last 3,000 years, because that's when David wrote this psalm, Christians have been oppressed in major ways. I mean, sure, minor ways, but also major ways. <clears throat> Verse 7, the psalmist David, you could tell had Moses in mind. Not only the whole burning bush and God revealing his real name to Moses, but the psalmist also talks about all of the awesome things that he did for the people of Israel. Remember the plagues that God showed Pharaoh to show the Pharaoh that he was the one true God? Also how God led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt and he led them by day with a, with a cloud and by night with a pillar of fire. He led them across the Red Sea on dry ground to, to deliver them from Pharaoh's army. And when they were wandering in the wilderness and were hungry and thirsty, God gave them manna and quail and water from a rock. So God did wonderful, wonderful things for them. Finally, in this section, we get to verse 8. This is one of my favorite verses. This is a... This verse sums up some of God's most amazing attributes. It's kind of, it's one that we should memorize. Quote, God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's a really good one. Uh, this, This section continues talking about God's anger. He will get angry. He will discipline those whom he loves. But his anger and his discipline won't last forever. It will dissipate. As the section continues, it talks about how God doesn't deal with us according to our sins and iniquities. It's a great thing he doesn't deal with us according to our sins. How would that turn out? Not very good. We would be hiding behind bushes like Adam and Eve hid behind bushes when they sinned. Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of death, the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve for our sins, our iniquities. It's actually merciful and gracious of God not to give us what we deserve. Verse 13 sets up an interesting, uh, an interesting thing, and it has to do with compassion and love. For those of you who have children, imagine how much love and compassion you have for your children. Or if you don't have children, imagine how much love and compassion your parents had for you. Now, we're sinful, and our parents are sinful, but God isn't. So the compassion and love that he shows for his children is infinitely better and more than the love and compassion we have for our children. But now we, now we begin to get into what I call qualifiers. And we may not like the qualifiers, but they're here. They're in Scripture. Upon whom does God have his compassion and his love? 
Well, verse 13 clarifies that with a qualifier. Those who fear him. And it doesn't mean afraid. It means to have reverence for. Along the same vein as to bless, to glorify, to praise. The last verse in this section talks about how God knows us. God remembers that we're dust in the same way that he remembers that he formed Adam from the dust. Matthew 10.30 says that, quote, even the hairs on our head are numbered. As I think about myself and maybe some of you, I think God's got an easier time counting our hairs these days than others. But a more uh, relevant and applicable example of today is when God spoke to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 5. When he said, quote, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You may not think that God knows you. God knows you more than you can imagine, much better than you know yourself. This takes us to the next section, the next logical grouping of Psalm 103, verses 15 through 19. And the main takeaway here is that our days here on earth, on this side of heaven, are just a blip in time compared to God's eternal love for those who fear and obey him. He is sovereign and his kingdom rules over all. Our days really are here today and gone tomorrow. We're very minuscule and insignificant in the context of time and space. Uh, Tim used an illustration two to three months ago, and I'll reuse it. <clears throat> Hopefully he didn't copyright it. Just imagine in your, in your imagination two lines going out in either direction, as far as you can imagine, to the point where you can't even see them anymore. Now put a dot in that line. That's your life. It's your life in, in comparison to space and time, but it's also your life in comparison to God's love because it's steadfast, it's firmly fixed, it's unchangeable. But upon whom? Here's some more qualifiers and see if you can find a theme. Those who fear him, to his people's children and their children, to those who keep his commandments, and to those who remember I'm sorry, to those who keep his covenant. And the fourth is to those who remember to do his commandments. And lastly, the last, sec- the last verse in this section, verse 19, this talks about what I think is a spiritual fact or truth. In the same way that we have laws of science, we have gravity and thermodynamics, there's, there's spiritual realities and laws that we don't think about a whole lot. Qu- uh, quote, God has established his throne in the heavens... And his kingdom rules over all. Jesus, our savior, is literally the king of the universe. Not the planet, not the galaxy, Milky Way galaxy, but the whole, everything that exists. Uh, Tim also mentioned, I believe it was last week, uh, the, the Webb, not, yeah, the James Webb telescope, the one that succeeded the Hubble. I don't know if you've seen images of that, but supposedly we're seeing stars and galaxies that are hundreds of millions, if not billions of years away. Yep, God owns those too. Those are within his kingdom, within his dominion. As Hank Hanegraaff would say, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. All right, we've made it to the last section, section four, uh, verses 20 through 22. And the theme or the takeaway from this is that all of creation should praise God, especially us, his people. 
So 20 and 21, who should bless or praise or glorify or magnify God? This says his angels, his mighty ones who do his word and obey the voice of his word. Also, his hosts, probably still talking about his angels, his ministers who do his will. And then finally, verse 22, the culmination of the whole chapter, somewhat repetitive with verse 1. We're to bless the Lord, praise the Lord, glorify the Lord, bless all of his works in all places, and we're to bless him with our very core, our very essence of who and what we are, our soul. So to conclude, I'll repeat the main point. God created humans to praise, bless, glorify, honor him out of gratitude for what he's done for us and because of his status or title as Lord, as Yahweh, as the great I am. And I'd like to use a few other sources or or references to validate this. You remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? He started off with the most important thing. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. The highest honor, the highest blessing, the highest glory goes to the Father. We also get, you you may have heard of the acronym ACTS that teaches us how to pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Again, this is based on the Lord's Prayer, but it starts off with the most important thing. Adoration to bless. Now, at the beginning, I said, in order to do these things, you have to love God. Jesus was asked, Jesus, what's the most important thing in Scripture? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4 and 5, when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. The next example is from the Westminster Confession of Faith, Larger Catechism, question 1. The number one question, the most important question in the whole catechism, what is the chief and highest end of man? Answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God, to fully enjoy him forever. Now, I've not specifically called out Jesus a whole lot in this sermon, but he's there. He is there throughout Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, bless Yahweh, bless the Trinity, Jesus has a prominent role. And Paul proves this in Philippians, his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, when he said, quote, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, for those of you who haven't uh, made Jesus your Lord, or if you know people who haven't become Christians yet, I have the same, I'll use the same verse, and I don't mean to be ominous, but Scripture tells us that every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. So even if a person didn't want to believe in God or didn't want to acknowledge that everything Jesus said was true, they will. They will see that Jesus is King of the universe. And the very last thing I'll say is that if you've not taken that step of faith, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, 
gave a very, very brief, concise, easy to remember way to experience salvation when he said, quote, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that explains the meaning of life. And we thank you for making us, your creation, with a purpose. You designed us to bless you, worship you, praise you, glorify you. And Lord, I can't think of a better day in the week, a better hour of the day, than to do what we were designed to do than in church on Sunday morning. Help us to remember that going forward. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.